Okay, welcome to another episode of Take Flight Podcast. This is episode number 214. Before we get started, uh, why don't we do a quick check-in? How is everybody doing? Let's start with P. How have you been? Yeah, energized. Energized as we sort of approach uh, year-end. Looking forward to sort of general year-end reflections. And really looking forward to, you know, starting a whole new year. So um, I feel energized. Family's in a great position. Um, I'm doing well. And um, a lot to celebrate uh, this year. A lot to celebrate. So, um, yeah, feeling great. I love that. Most people don't say energized going into the end of the year. They normally say they're tired, waiting to recharge. So you must be doing something right. I'm trying. Hey, Sure. Um, Shuel, how are you doing? You've had a big few weeks. How's it going? Good. Yeah, yeah, good. So I just want to shout out uh, Daniel and uh, Pabilo and also Nathan Rose, who hopefully listens to this podcast, who came along for a recent uh, awards night. Um, yeah, it's it a great milestone to celebrate with the family. ACG got nominated for our first ever award. Um, hopefully first of, of many we didn't get the award on the night but i think the night itself was a great night um bringing out the podcast guys um a few of our, our partners but most importantly my mum and dad and brothers and their partners as well so it was a great night um december we've got a bit of travel planned for this month as well to close out the year strong uh and yeah it's been a great year overall so i think similar to to p looking forward to closing this year and also starting the new year uh fresh i would say um Bolu, how how are you how are you doing before maybe we go to Daniel to, to wrap up? I like the fact that you subtly put uh some traveling to close out December, like you haven't been traveling all year. Um I'm not <laughs> sure how many how many countries have you been to this, this year? This year, yeah, I think this year we've hit like 13 or 14. A majority of them has been with my with my wife as well, which has been the first time for for her. Um, we've also attended 13 weddings as well this year. So it's been a very very busy year, a lot of love being being spread, but a nice way to, to close out as well. Nice, nice. Um, myself, um, for some of the listeners, you probably noticed we haven't done any group episodes or I haven't done any sort of take flight um, takeaway episodes. Um, I've been away, was in Nigeria for personal reasons, um, but I got the opportunity to spend time with family, which is always great, um, even though the occasion is not the best, but spending time with family is always a beautiful thing. I always say I hate that it always takes certain occasions for people to get together. Yeah. Um, but um, as I was flying to to Nigeria, uh, it was funny because I got in the same flight with my mom, my brother, and my nephews. And my mom was like, when was the last time we all got on a flight together? And it was probably when I was in secondary school, um, when we've all been on a flight together. So it was a beautiful uh, moment, beautiful experience, being surrounded by loved ones. Um, back to the UK now. I wish I stayed and done Dutty December in Nigeria and then flown out to Ghana or somewhere like that. But when you're traveling with an expired passport, Nigerian passport, there's only so much you can do. Um, and you always want to quickly get back into the country. But I would want to say just a big shout out to the, the three guys on the podcast for all your support in the last few weeks. Um, a lot of family, friends who have been supportive throughout the the last few weeks and months as well. Really appreciate it. Um, but before we get into this episode, Daniel, how are you? Have you recovered? The last time I, or the last thing I remember is your Ghana trip. Are you are you back working? Are you taking another, what do you guys call it? Recharge week or recharge month? What does December mean to you? 
Uh, December right now means just about two more days worth of work that I'm off for the year. So um, yeah, I've got a recharge week, the week of Christmas. Um, but I've, I've, um, yeah, I've been, I've been off work every Monday and Friday for the last three, four weeks. I'm only working, you know, two days this week that I'm off for the year. So it's fantastic for me. Uh, a lot of rest and recharge and things to do around the house. I love it. I love it. And you're looking very sharp. If anyone's watching on YouTube, you see that Daniel's hairline is looking really, really sharp. Nah, nah, so. This is this is this is this is this is this isn't fresh anymore. This is six days old. So, yeah. Oh, six days. Sorry, one more, one more, one more, one more trim before Christmas. Yeah. yeah. But then, <laughs> if I if I if I if I may, Olu, just to use this as a as a plug because we have started uploading on YouTube our podcasts. Right, it's a slow and steady upload. Nandi, our producer, has done an amazing job. So, for those of you that are watching this on YouTube, Daniel. Daniel's hairline is extremely fresh six days after his haircut and his skin is also glowing as well. So if that's not a reason to watch some of our videos on YouTube and subscribe, if you may, then I don't know what is. Uh, but Olu, back to you. It's all these different recharge weeks. They're, they're looking good on his skin. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, think I rest, need some of rest, that recharge. Rest, rest, rest can do, a, can do a, um, you know, a world of good for you, you know. P knows all Love about it. it. <laughs> well, that's his favourite book, right? <laughs> Inside a joke. Um, but yes, let's get started into the episode. Take off, take flight with you. We never fly, but we're flying. Today we'll be diving into the world of investing, business, and um, philosophies of um, Charlie Munger. Now, we've received a lot of positive feedback on episodes where we deep dive into businesses, individuals such as the episode we did on Kobe Bryant. Now, Charlie Munger passed away on the 28th of November, 2023, at the age of 99 years old. Now, this was 34 days shy of his 100th birthday. Charlie Munger was the vice president, or vice chairman, should I say, of Berkshire Hathaway, and was a towering figure in the financial world. Charlie Munger was born in Omaha, Nebraska, in 1924. Munger excelled in his studies. He has a bachelor degrees in mathematics from Harvard University, has a law degree from Harvard Law School. After, um, after completing his legal education, Munger worked as a lawyer for several years before venturing out in investing. Now, Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett first met in 1959 at a dinner party in their hometown of um, Omaha, Nebraska, and they quickly got along. They became, some would say, best friends. In 1962, Munger partnered with Warren Buffett to form Buffett Partnership Limited. And that's why um, I think it was it's a great idea for us to sort of discuss Charlie Munger, what he meant to us, uh, what he meant to the financial world, and more importantly, what we've learned from him and what some of our listeners can learn from him as well. So let's get started and get more into detail about Charlie Munger. A lot of people know him for his investments and his investment thesis. Shua, why don't you go into some of Charlie Munger's investments? What were some of his characteristics when it came to investing? Yeah, perfect, Ollie. So thank you for the, the amazing intro to this episode. And I think for the listeners, if, if this episode really resonates and some of the things that we've learned about Charlie Munger over the years, then I really recommend checking out uh, some of his interviews online. There's some great content out there that you can double down on. And um, I think for us, we wanted to give a quick flavor in terms of his principles and some of his investments. So I think from, from my side, when looking into his background, I think the numbers that Olu has said in terms of his net worth, 
um, the value that he's created in the market speaks for itself. Uh, but he is a big advocate on some common investing principles that he's tried to apply across multiple investments. I think the three that I wanted to share that seem to really resonate with, with me and I'm sure with our group here as well as you, the listeners, the first one is really his principle about value investing and trying to have a margin of safety in that investment as well. So value investing, if I had to simplify, is just really investing for the long term. He wasn't interested in trying to trade in and out of stocks on a daily basis, a weekly basis, or yearly. Any investment that they made, they really wanted to hold it for the long term, which ultimately gave them the best returns. Um, and the companies that he was looking for, what you would commonly see are companies that he believed that there was a discount to the intrinsic value of the company. So what does that mean? Intrinsic value is essentially an estimate of the company's worth based on its long-term earning power, assets, and other factors. And these could be reduced because of various reasons. It could be a market overreaction, et cetera, which leads to a discounting on the price. Now, if you look at the biggest investments that Charlie Munger made alongside Warren Buffett in their company, then whenever there was a time when stocks would go red, that's when him and his organization would really go in and deploy as much cash as they, as they could because they could sense the discount from an intrinsic value at that point, and then they would know that if they hold it for the long term with their value investing principle, then they could get massive returns, which I think they've been able to demonstrate. So that's the first principle that really resonated with me. The other principle that he had is staying within your circle of competence. So I think Munga frequently stressed the importance of staying within your circle of competence. So this means focusing on industries and businesses that you understand well. Um, and by doing so, investors can make even more informed and rational decisions. Now, if you look at us as a quartet, we've all got different backgrounds in different areas, whether that's in general electric, whether that's in cryptocurrency, whether that's in healthcare or real estate. And then I think for us, as we've spent decades now in particular industries, that gives us a certain amount of knowledge that probably someone who's starting tomorrow won't be able to pick up. So he was very clear on trying to stay within that circle of competence. I think the last one, which I really resonated with, and I think this is something that we can all speak to in our group, is having this application of lifelong learning and knowledge. So he was a strong advocate to always learn. Him and uh, Warren Buffett would always talk about reading all the time and spending all their times reading company accounts, company uh, performances, and that giving them the knowledge to invest really in a successful way and also taking a multidisciplinary approach uh, approach as well in their investing. So if you're interested in just real estate, he was also advocating to learn more about the economy, to learn more about central banking, to really have this full picture to ensure that what you're learning can be applied in the in the investment space. Now, I think if I had to summarize all that and give some examples of some of his best investments, the three that came to mind for me were Coca-Cola, American Express, and Bank of America. Now, these three investments were financially some of the most successful. But if you look at those, very common thread is that they are big brands, they're well-known, and they had strong financials as well. And if you combine all the three of them with the value investing mindset, sticking within their area of expertise, and also applying a lifelong learning and knowledge approach that they had, this really led to some outsized returns. So I think they were all common takeaways that we can also apply in our own investing journey as well. I love that, Shawal. I think if I was to add a fourth one, I'd probably put Apple uh, in there with sort of the investment. I think for me, just the fact that I believe this their first investment in Apple was 2016, if I remember correctly. And I think sometimes it's to imagine what 2016, how old would he have been in his 90s, right? In his early 90s, late 80s, to 
always have that mindset of learning about these technology companies because I'm sure he probably didn't know when iPhone was or Apple was when it first came out. But being able to, like you mentioned, see the value um, in the company, the in- intrinsic value. And I think at the time that they purchased it, him and Warren Buffett always say, we didn't really have a choice. Out of all those sort of tech companies, it had the lowest PE ratio, which is a way that a lot of people measure. And I like the conviction in terms of when they do see an opportunity, like you mentioned, they go heavily into it when it drops and they see value there and they hold it for the long term. And now they're reaping the benefits of that. So that's absolutely fantastic. Thank you, Shua. And that's that. Um, Pete, can you talk about, because every time people think about Charlie Munger, they obviously connect him to Warren Buffett. And I talked about their first interaction and how they met. But can you talk about importance of partnership, finding yeah. the right partnership along those lines? Yeah, sure. No, I, th- I think the listeners have already sort of, you know, heard you guys have provided some great insights already on Charlie Munger. He was very much the sort of unsung hero. Um, um, Warren Buffett was more the face of Berkshire Hathaway. But I think to kick off with, their partnership spanned across 45 years of working together. And so that time in itself just speaks to the level of success that they've they've achieved over that period of time. And I thought I'd start off by, by kicking off before diving into sort of what made their partnership work and click is what would, if you ask somebody what would make a successful uh, business partnership, some of the things like, you know, comparable rep- rep- reputation comes to mind, having clear and measurable expectations, having mutual accountability, open communication and trust, commitment, accessibility, all of these sort of traits are, are, are sort of associated with a successful partnership and they had this plus more. Uh, one thing I'd probably say coming into the partnership, which I think is very important, is that Charlie Munger came in, as you've mentioned, Olu, from a very well-decorated and established uh, legal career, but also experience in actually building up his own investment um, company, which when they did sort of the compound and the growth return, it was actually performing better um, than Dow Jones. So he's come into a partnership with, with um, Warren Buffett with sort of, you know, very sharp mind and sort of investment, not just the legal aspect. But what made sort of their partnership, I think, I think really successful. I think the very first thing that stuck out to me was the admiration and respect they had for each other because they always knew that there was more to learn from each other and also from around. And I think that's, you know, think about almost two titans before they even met in their respective spaces, understanding that they actually can learn more from each other. They actually disagreed on obviously a lot of, they had, they just had a lot of disagreements on opinions, but they never fought in the 45 years they actually worked together. So, and that speaks to the level of respect and admiration. So they never had to sort of reconcile from any fractured um, moments, which would then be a breakdown in trust and communication. That also meant that they agreed on a lot of topics. And, you know, Warren actually spoke about the stress of of having fun whilst working together. And it's quite, you know, ironic that you actually put, you know, 160 billion worth of cash in the same sentence as sort of fun, because it's to be a custodian of that kind of capital, of um, stress, time that, that goes into that. So the fact that he at this age, as they're talking together in interviews says, we focus on having fun throughout our time, I think also is a key element to a successful partnership. One other thing that came out was the power of listening to each other. And, and it was a major theme for their success. And although Charlie Munger was number two and Warren Buffett was number one, you know, one of the things that Charlie done really, really well for Warren Buffett was to help him to push his thinking further. But that also meant that Warren had to listen very well. So they had that sort of, well, they listened to each other, um, they communicated well, and I think they listened with intent of actually making the right 
um, decision in in the best interest for the company. <clears throat> so the other thing also, <clears throat> the other point. Oh, I was just going to say it reminds me of that um, that York and Cole partnership at Man United. You know, you know what's interesting about this. I was actually thinking <laughs> just, you've actually said this at the right time. Not enough is spoken about the power of number two. In a modern day society, we always everybody's thinking about the number one spot. Naturally, as, as an alpha, as a male, you're thinking about what does it take to get to the number one spot. Those that are in number two are thinking about getting to number one spot, and the person in number one understands that. And I think Charlie was was more than happy to play a really, really strong number two. And Warren says he credits the growth of Berkshire Hathaway to uh, Charlie. So there's a lot of lessons there in, in how to play. Some people are actually better off as a number two versus a number one. And to build a successful company, you need a good one, two, three, four, and five. So I think I think having a partnership where there's a clear owner in, in a number one spot and a strong number two, I think, you know, gives them great run rate for, for sort of their success. Maybe just a couple more points on, on their partnership before sort of passing it on um, to Daniel. I think, um, sure, you've mentioned this in your insights. You know, Charlie came into the partnership very balanced and maintained a very pragmatic approach. He spoke about operating within your circle of competence. And when you listen to him speak, it's very it's very difficult to disagree with his way of thinking or advice because he kept it very, very simple. So I can almost imagine the conversation between him and Warren are actually potentially quite simple, straightforward, but are very meaningful when they actually deploy their capital in, in what they want to buy. Um, and maybe some of the last examples I'll give in terms of just the power of listening to each other. I think it was Charlie that was, we all understand, Olu, you mentioned this earlier, um, Warren's hesitation to sort of wanting to invest in tech. And I think it was Charlie that sort of said, look, you know, we can we can invest in the area that we understand. And Apple represents almost half of their portfolio as it is today, over 170 billion of, of stake of, of holdings. So, um, yeah, th those are probably sort of the key elements between what made their partnership a success. And I think is a great I think it might be the, one of the greatest partnerships in modern day history and a lot to learn, especially as a number two um, position. I was just, um, just going to add to that. I think, P, you mentioned that they didn't, they always got, they, sorry, they didn't, they never once fought in their 46 years of partnership, which is correct. But also one thing I heard was that Munger wasn't afraid to say no to Warren and stand yeah. up to say, you know, you're making the wrong decision, which I think is very fundamental in a partnership because if you're surrounded by yes men, you know, you're, you know, it's, it doesn't last very might not be outcome, yeah. No, uh, P, I like the way you, you phrased that, right? Because I would... I don't think it's even debatable, would say that when it comes to the investing world, Charlie Munger was the best number two that ever existed in terms of playing that role, but also having a voice. Because especially when you see the shareholder meetings, right? It's going to always be iconic having both of them on stage, equally being asked questions, equally mm -hmm. their opinions is valued, equally carrying so much weight but being able to run a business in such a way where some marriages would hope for them <laughs> that, that yeah. many years, right? Yeah. And not, not being able to argue at all. Yeah, it's really uh, neat. But, but moving on, I think one of the questions that probably a lot of people are thinking, as we've mentioned all the great things about Charlie Manga, we've talked about how he was probably the best number two person. Daniel, why don't you talk about what this is going to mean to Berkshire Hathaway? Um, just in general, right? This is probably a shakeup for the whole company. I think it's going to be, of course, be a big impact um, for, you know, every employee and everyone who interacted with Charlie. But I actually don't think it's going to have much of an impact on Berkshire as it will on Warren. 
Warren, this has been his right-hand man for 46 years. It's a very long time, over four decades. I think you're going to miss that sidekick. You're going to miss having those daily interactions. And I think, and I, I hope that Warren's okay, because this is you know, going to be a big moment of grief for him in his life. Um, so for the impact of Berkshire, I don't think so much. For Warren, a huge, huge miss and a huge void. And I think for those annual shareholder meetings that Berkshire hold, where anyone who's a shareholder can actually attend and ask questions, people will miss his presence. He was well known for his one-liners um, at these AGMs and often would back up Warren and what Warren said or often say, no, Warren, got nothing to add. You said everything. And I think people will miss his natural humor, the, the fun that he brought to those shareholder meetings. I think one of the lines or one of the quotes that he, he said once was, if people weren't so often wrong, we wouldn't be so rich. Uh, about him and Warren. And that just made me laugh because it's like an arrogance, but also humility at the same time. Um, but I think when, you, when we take a step back into the impact on Berkshire, in 2006, Buffett, Buffett actually said he hoped Munger would take over the conglomerate. And I don't know why he thought that when Munger is seven years his senior. But anyway, he later acknowledged someone younger was needed to, to shepherd the billion dollar business into the future. And actually two years ago, Buffett announced that Greg Abel, the 61-year-old vice chairman, of the non-insurance operations at Berkshire as his successor. He's a Canadian businessman and CEO of Berkshire Hathaway Energy, and Abel's a longtime company loyalist, is well regarded amongst colleagues amid the looming leadership change necessitated by Buffett's aging. Because of course, Buffett's time at the helm is, you know, gonna be is limited. So he's got to think about his succession plan. And so with Munger's passing, I think Abel may have a closer working relationship with Buffett as he did before. But Munger also said before he passed in 2021 that he believed Abel would keep the culture that made Berkshire so successful. So I think Berkshire, in its kind of a long term, I think when Warren does, you know, pass away, of course we will pass away, I think it will have a huge impact on the company and its sort of, you know, philosophy. But it does have a succession plan in place. And I think, you know, when we look at um, what Abel's achieved in his time, he's both a thinker and a doer. And he's also a tremendous learning machine that Munger said himself. And we all know Munger had a love for learning. So I think when we think about long-term Berkshire, not so much an impact, more maybe Warren. Um, but I think it also presents opportunities for the future and you know, maybe see where else they are successful. No, thank you. I think it's it talks to succession planning, right? And the importance of succession planning. I think we've done quite a few episodes about like, um, I think P, you did an episode on um, wealth generation, right? And how you transfer that, right? I think when we talk about businesses, we did one on LVMH, if I remember, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in regards to succession planning there. And like Daniel's articulated, this is something that Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger were aware of, right? They, in your 90s, right? You've got to think about, okay, I'm not going to be here for forever, right? I think both of them have that luxury of um, where a lot of people always talk about retirement. <laughs> and I always say to myself, does retirement actually truly exist? Especially when you see a lot of these people that are high performing or have some level of purpose in their life, right? Some of them see, see joy, value, fun, right? In what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. But also you have the due diligence that you have to do when it comes to ensuring that you've correctly um, succession planned. So before we wrap up, I think this would be a great opportunity to just quickly go round because I think, or not, I think Charlie Munger was known for his quotes, 
right? I think he's got tons and tons of quotes that are iconic. Um, I thought it'd be good if we go around, name one, maybe two quotes that we we resonate to and why, sort of, why do we resonate to it? So who wants to go first? Yeah, I just thought it'd be good for us I'll to take, go around. No, I'll take one. I'll take one. Um, okay. I think it, so it, what about you, Pete? Yeah, the, the, the quote I'll take is, take a simple idea and take it seriously. And I think mm. I think that's the epitome of 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 their thesis. And they've kept in, in a, such a complex world when you're dealing with billions of cash, it's very easy to make things complex. Uh, how do you keep things simple and how do you double down on on simplicity? Nice. I can go next. I'm gonna be selfish and take two. One invest in wise and <laughs> that's one a, just that's around. A- that's a surprise personality i think in regards to investing i think one of the great quotes he had was the big money is not made in the buying and the selling but in the waiting and i think a lot of times when it comes to investing we're always thinking about okay what price are we buying it what price are we selling it but a true generational wealth and if i look at any investments that i've done that've made significant amount of returns right property right you hold it for 10 20 years it's doubled if i look at some of the companies and stocks it's doubled by me holding it so that waiting period is when you get that true generational wealth or true growth if you're buying quality that's obviously a key part so you mean sorry Oli, you mean holding period not the percentage of ownership no the waiting the period, period in terms of how how long you're how holding long, it for okay how yes. long you hold it clear yeah, yeah. so the time you hold it for and then lastly, in terms of remember that your reputation and integrity are the most valuable assets, right? And they can be lost in a heartbeat. Um, and this was something I learned when I went into the corporate space that your brand and your name is so important. Um, and you've got to always try to protect your integrity. There's going to be situations in your life where things are going to come up where you feel like you can cut a corner, do the wrong thing. But at the end of the day, holding your integrity will take you so, so, so much further than just that quick fix or quick um, recognition or um, quote unquote success, because people will remember how you treat them. People remember how you acted in certain situations. And I'm sure a lot of the value that um, Charlie Munger gained was because people trusted what he said, right? There's investors who will say something in front of TV and then pump it up stocks. And then all of a sudden the investors are losing a crazy amount of money and they're not going to last for the long period of time. So integrity and reputation is really important. Daniel, yourself. Yeah. Um, I think I, I shared one that made me was quite comical or made me laugh, but I also like one quote that he said, you must force yourself to consider opposing arguments, especially when they challenge your best loved ideas. I think that's very important in terms of, um, you as a person and how you think and then also being smart and doing something that no one has done before are two different things yeah that's what i'd nice. say thanks then and then we'll end up with you sure yeah i think uh, i was i was looking through some of his his quotes and i think the ones that you guys have selected have definitely been some of the best ones and i think just to make it a bit different the way that i was thinking is the approach that he had and one thing that came across very often is his curiosity and I think this is something where if you're if you apply a curious approach in whichever field you're in rather than thinking that you know everything but take this approach that even at the age of 
90 plus he was reading these company reports reviewing companies discussing with warren also happy to be wrong in some cases um this curious approach really led to outsized gains over time so it's, it's something that i see in all of you guys and i'm sure in our listeners is something that they have a lot of curiosity as well so it's just something to keep through our careers and not to get too too comfortable with it and i think he was a great demonstration of that Thank you very much. I hope for our listeners, you've enjoyed this episode where we've deep dived into Charlie Munger. Um, if you do have any questions, you know where to find us on Instagram, YouTube, and um, TikTok, I believe we're on as well. So all your every main platform. platforms, every platform. Um, so I'll pass it on to you, Daniel, to wrap us up. Well, you did all of it for me. So catch us <laughs> next week for another episode of Take Flat Podcast. Until then, stay safe and God bless. Take off, take off.